Or shall we raise a glass to absent friends? No. No. <laughs> Welcomes, hellos, salutations to all listeners. Welcome to season six. This is what we call the sand season. Because we are going to be reviewing a lot of things involved involving a desert sand. of some sort. Yeah. Um, so... Today's podcast is going to be the review of Dune, which only came out, what, like four days ago? Yeah, yeah, a couple and, of days ago, yeah. Okay, so here is my quick synopsis. Prince joins father on expedition to planets that they've been given by the Empire, slowly realizes that he may be some sort of messiah figure and discovers that he's more powerful than his mom, resists all urges to go back to fight the Empire and decides to stay in the desert. That's it for me. I mean, that, that really That's succinctly my- sums it up. Yeah, that is my that's my breakdown of this film. And that's mm. obviously not all that there is to mm. it. Everything's about spice, isn't it? Everyone wants it, and yeah. only Arrakis, otherwise known as Dune, yeah. the planet, has yeah. it, and it does all yeah. sorts of things to you. It glitters in the air, it turns your eye blue, it gives you sort of psychic trips, and it doesn't look that tasty. I know that there was a nineteen eighty something version which yes. you saw. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think there's this thing with Hollywood now where it's like if a film is a remake they kind of expect that it's going to cater to a bunch of people who have already seen Mm, the first version mm, mm. there was some attempt at exposition for this one but I think a lot of things were just kind of like you should have either read the book or seen the previous film for a lot of this to make sense it's not like anything could not be understood even from first view because this was literally my first viewing about anything in the entire Dune franchise I've not read any of the books I haven't seen any of the previous films I was as someone who was a first time watcher I could still make sense of the film I think that's really interesting because I read the book as a teenager thing that did stay with me was this really dense amount of mythology and technical stuff I watched the 1984 one quite recently the first I'd say about 10 minutes is all exposition but exposition yeah. that's just done straight at the viewer and just way too mm. much of it and you're, you're trying to sift through the layers so I think what was yeah. very impressive from the outset of this film is that they were able to communicate the basic things you need to know about the Dune yeah. universe without yeah. overwhelming the viewer with just this tell, tell, yeah. tell approach. The only other thing I'd say is it's interesting with the 1984 version they begin with the much wider scope of the universe you get the sense of the political intrigue and the conspiracies I mean in this you don't even see the emperor and the guild where with this one they'd flip the script to have obviously Zendaya's character and have this story very much centred around the people who were being oppressed and exploited and I think that was an appropriate choice Um, and I think gets you into the Mm. film so what did you think about the film overall I think this is the blockbuster of the year like it's either going to be this or the Matrix Resurrections because it was intense that's the the adjective that just sat in my mind when I was thinking about how to summarize this film for someone else it was a very intense film not in a bad way so they threw you into the story with the Duke of the House of Atreides they threw you in with Arrakis and everything that's happening the people who are exploiting it and trying to like mine spice then you're also 
aware of this much larger sociopolitical mess that's going on at an interplanetary scale at this point. Mm. And I kept thinking, okay, there is a lot of parallels between this and what actually happens in where sand really is on our planet, like the Middle East and, you know, the exploitative powers around the mining of the resources mm-hmm. at the expense of the people who actually do live there and who have made those places their home. Like you said, you could get a sense of the wider world from the perspective of the people that it is centered on. Mm-hmm. So I think the choice to throw you into the film without as much telltale of this is once upon a time in a galaxy far far away. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of nonsense. Um, was really good choice because you get absorbed in the film and I think part of the thrill of the film was trying to make sense of what was going on, at least for me. Mm-hmm. Things like the Bene Gesserit, mm. the uh, oppressive guys. That oh, the Harkonnens. Bautista's character Harkonnens, was part of. Yes. whatever the, yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, them. There was just so much happening at once, and I think that's what made it so engrossing. And you just realize how long the film is because it was almost two and a half hours, mm-hmm. I think. It's that long, but I think the way it's told, it doesn't feel that long. But I think what I also liked about it was beyond the exposition and beyond this grand... I don't want to call it sci-fi because it's more like science fantasy at this point. Mm-hmm. It's more like a fantasy world, if, we, if we're being honest. It's a fantasy world with futuristic props. Mm-hmm. So beyond this fantasy world, there's also the very real centering on the humanistic aspects of it, which I think was a beautiful balance that they had in the film. Mm -hmm. Because you go through the rigors of what Paul's reality is like, being this cog in a much larger machine, Mm -hmm. his mom's role in trying to train him for whatever the future is to come, but also that precariousness of their position being exiled onto this planet. It was a very intense film, but in like the best possible way. Mm -hmm. And I'm definitely looking forward to like the second half of it because I know you're probably going to get told a lot more by the second half. Mm-hmm. But at this point, it's just, it was so much. We will get into the nitty gritty of the film itself, but that's just my overall general review at this point. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, similarly, really. I think that for me, there was the sheer spectacle which Denise Velliner, the director, has done before with Blade Runner 2049 and In Arrival. And I think that it Mm. matched the very scale of Dune. If you ever read the book, you could imagine these great big landscapes and the various types of ships. Like you said, it felt intense and there was this palpable dread throughout the first sort of part of the film when we're going from the planet of the Atreides things like Caladan or something like that there's sort of a broodingness to it and then when you get to Arrakis itself and it's so arid and desolate and even the architecture just doesn't feel comfortable and you know something is coming one aspect of the book is all the premonitions and this sort of psychic layer which is I think quite difficult to navigate because it does cut into the plot a bit with this I felt that for the most part it worked because it does fit into this landscape of queasy and weird I think what they did really well with the premonitions was that they showed that these premonitions were not exact yes yeah yeah. They pointed him in a direction and showed particular things that might happen in the future, but they weren't exact telltales of what will happen in the future. Mm. Some things absolutely did happen, like what happened with Jason Momoa's character, mm. um, which he saw at the beginning was like, you know, I saw you dead in um, Arrakis and... And the setting where he saw him dead was that setting, mm-hmm. right? Yes, so yeah. Some things actually absolutely came to pass, but at the same time, some things also were significantly changed by virtue of the fact that he had these premonitions. By the time we got to the end of the film, 
Paul sort of comes to this realization that just because you can see potential futures doesn't mean that you are subject to them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And there was this sense of ownership that he started taking closer to the end, which was where it was most prominent was when he had to do that fight. Mm-hmm. Right? Yes. Yeah. And then he saw multiple versions of that fight playing out in his head, including versions where he himself had died. Mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And at least what he got the sense of from the earlier premonitions was that that guy that he fought was actually supposed to be his friend and his guide. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which meant that when he actually got into the fight, he was reluctant to kill the man. Mm. But then he also realized that if I don't kill this man right now, given the setup of everything, I'm going to end up in the alternative version of that future where I get killed in this fight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was my way of interpreting all those visions he was getting because... The way I saw it was like, these visions seem to be conflicting. Because mm-hmm. one of them shows you as almost friends with this man, while the other one shows you getting killed by this man. And all those were just potential realities. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know what version of reality would have happened mm. if, let's say, for instance, his mother had not fought the leader. Mm, mm, mm. Because that entire fight only happened because his mother bested their leader. Yes, yeah, 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 yeah. And the man said, well, you can't be leading us if you were bested by some woman. And so I am going to fight this woman. So for all you know, there would have been a version of the future where that man was simply his guide through the tribes of whatever those people are, if that hadn't happened. So Mm. the way I saw it was he kept seeing potential versions of the future, but each of those futures played out in a different way, Mm. depending on what came before it. There is no definite end point. And I think that's what his big struggle was at the beginning, trying to follow or make sense of these visions that he was getting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think by the end, he kind of understanding that these visions were just options. Yeah. And it was still up to him to decide which one he was doing. This is where I think the next film has a lot of potential. Like you said, because the premonitions are uncertain, the way in which I, I read that, there is a there's a meta thing here. If you've read June, you have a very clear idea of where all this is going. And like you said, you've picked up the Messiah aspect and stuff like that. And people who know the, the book and people who know the 1984 film and other adaptations this story know where it is along with this is an archetype or a trope anyway but I wonder going into part two if the future is uncertain it gives them a lot of wiggle room to play around with where Herbert's story ends up going especially because I assume we'll talk about the themes of this film especially in connection to colonialism or imperialism I think that would be very significant and appropriate for them to do because there is a white saviour who comes from the outside walking into a group of indigenous people and basically becoming the, the messiah, which we've seen to the present, like Game of Thrones, for instance, with Targaryen. I do wonder whether the premonitions being divergences in different timelines and Paul having to work his way through them, like you said, things are not set in stone, and whether that will also yeah. apply on the level of the writing. I mean, at this point, that's kind of speculative, but I think Mm. it is possible that just by virtue of the fact that Dune is already an established storyline, they might choose to go in this somewhat divergent direction with the next few films. Mm. So Mm. it doesn't become a case of you already know what's happening. Mm. Because if, if that's the case, you could just read the book between now and the next film and you kind of have all the spoilers. But at the same time, it also depends on if they want to stick to the original material or if they want to use the original material as 
inspiration for a different kind of story. Yes, yeah. And we've already discussed this in the past about retellings of different things. Mm, mm, and that mm. might be the case with Dune as well. From them, jumping into what we were saying about the dominant themes of the film, mm. I think one of the things that really struck me was the whole idea of empire. Mm, mm -hmm. Because it was the emperor of the universe or whatever section of the universe they were in mm. that essentially gave that planet to Atreides. And it just made me think, okay, that's an internal political strife that's going on with people trying to hold particular forms of power. Mm -hmm. You know, the emperor trying to hold a particular form of power by getting rid of the competition, which is the house of Emma Trades. Mm -hmm. And then Harkonnen as well, trying to hold on to the economic form of power by, by getting rid of the house of Emma Trades, which I guess was part of the emperor's ploy. But then outside of that, being able to just designate an entire planet and civilization to another planet and civilization, mm. it just made me think of the scramble for Africa mm -hmm. and what happened when the powers that be in Europe just decided to divide parts of Africa and send a bunch of white people there mm -hmm. to mine resources and claim this as like a territory. So Nigeria was for the British, mm -hmm. Togo was for the French. We don't want to talk about what the Belgians did in the Congo. Mm -hmm. And that was the sort of vibe I was getting from it. But at the same time, it started out that way, and I guess in the film flipped the script and went the other way, where it became a case of that these powers were actually quite powerless when they landed on the ground. Whatever forms of technology or advanced whatever that they had just ended up falling victim to the realities of the Dune planet. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in a sense, I think that's where it shifts or takes inspiration from reality, but also departs from re reality as well. Mm. I mean, there were stories about colonial powers getting stuck in things like swamps and, and the like when they moved into all these other places. But I think the fact that Dune sort of makes it central to its own plot, even though obviously we still end up with the whole chosen one messiah complex story. Yes, with yeah, yeah, Paul yeah. And everything. Yeah. But the fact that even with the chosen one complex, there are doubts about it. There is still a sense of precariousness to it. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, even yeah. Paul himself knows that he's at the mercies of these people and whatever they choose to do with him. In fact, Paul technically joins them mm -hmm. as one of them. Mm -hmm. And so in a sense, whatever loyalties he had as the house of Atreides is kind of gone. Mm -hmm. Because as far as they're concerned, the house of Atreides has fallen. Mm -hmm. So that also for me raised the question of, okay, what happens to the actual planet's that was run by the house of Atreides. Doesn't that just become an extended part of the M. Harkonnen people? It was a mix and it was a mess and it raised a lot of questions for me as to where the machinations on a political scale, mm. because that seemed to be central to this plot. Mm -hmm. But like I said, most of what I'm saying right now is speculative. We have no way of knowing Yeah, of course. Yeah. I totally agree. The thing that hovers around the film at the beginning of it is whether the Atreides are just yet another form of exploitation and oppression. That question from Zendaya at the end of the prologue, which is, you know, who will our new exactly. conquerors be? I think when you were talking about like the scramble for Africa and the the way I saw this was very analogous with the, the Atreides being, say, you know, um, the Portuguese or the Spanish yeah. or the British and, and the Harkonnens just being basically the Belgians because they just didn't yeah. give two fucks. Like yeah. I think Stellan Skarsgård, who spends a lot of this film either in a bath or in a uh, in a sauna, mm. as Baron Harkonnen says, "I just exterminate yeah. them all." The yeah. way they played with Oscar Isaac's like Leto character, talking about 
It's not just about the spice, it's about the people. And what I wondered with that still exists within it an imperial mentality. I know it's a little bit more, we're yeah. not going to just outright exterminate people. On the other hand, yeah. um, you are just trying to use these people for your own ends. So when Javier Bardem yeah. comes in and he's just a, all right, you're here, mind you're your here. Spice yeah, 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 stay out of our yeah, <laughs> Mind your spice and everybody yeah, yeah, leave us alone. And, but uh, the yeah. fact, I guess, that a worrying, if you like, aspect of the film for me is this affirmation of desert power. And I know this is where the Messiah thing becomes problematic, is yes, in a sense, there's the shredding of Paul's aristocratic background and he's no, he's now with the people who were previously colonised and so on. But if he is going to become this messianic figure, then it's merely, really, I think, an affirmation of that colonial mentality, which is that fundamentally yeah. we are superior. And even if these people can be, these people, these othered people can be brought into the fold that makes them feel empowered and so on, but actually is just part of the same power structure. It is very unclear at this point where it's going to go. I like the fact that at least they address it. Where the 1984 version, yeah. none of this is seen as that problematic. Paul raises a number of concerns throughout the film about the role that they are playing. And yeah. there is a sort of critique of the Atreides as these benevolent, but they're still the latest oppressors, even if they've been led into yeah. a trap. Where my view of what the Atreides were doing within the plotline kind of departs from yours, mm. actually ties to something that the, I guess, queen, mother, whatever, the Bene Gesserit said when she came over to test Paul. Mm. And she said, we are involved in machinations or plans that are millennia old, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so even the Atreides to me were just cogs in a much larger machine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I think Oscar Isaac's character kind of recognized that from the very beginning mm -hmm. because the empire just decided to drop this stuff in their lap. Mm -hmm. They didn't go out looking to conquer Arrakis, Arrakis right? Yeah. That, was, that was never their plan. They were minding their business. And then the empire just thrust this thing upon them knowing that if they were to refuse, it looks like some sort of defiance, mm -hmm. which so they put in a bind, right? Mm -hmm. And it's that whole situation of being like the Bene Gesserit said, when an animal that's caught in a trap would gnaw off its own leg to survive. Mm -hmm. I felt like that was almost a parallel to what was happening to the house of M. Atreides because I think Oscar Isaac's character knew from the very beginning that this is a trap, that this is going to be a political minefield. So his survival strategy was actually to follow what the empire wanted them to do, but also rely on the benevolence and goodwill of the people of Arrakis to be able to survive. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I think that was his plan because like you said, yes, it was for his own ends, but to some degree, I saw him, the, essentially the entire house of Atreides in a somewhat unfortunate position mm -hmm. because as much as they had their, they said they were good with like the air and the sea, they had their, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. their commerce, they had whatever was going on for them. They just ended up getting caught in this much larger political web by an emperor that was trying to get rid of them intentionally yeah 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 no i could yeah I could and see so that. as a result it's like okay so what do you want them to do mm. because it's either if they defy the empire which was that what that entire ceremonial bit at the beginning was the empire has given you this do you accept the thing is they could have decided not to accept but there are consequences to yeah, that of and course. They knew it. yeah 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 so yeah. it's like okay so do you accept fine we do but even via this acceptance it's a ploy and so what's our plan b what do we do after this 
So his whole forming of an alliance with the people of Arrakis, to me, was more of a survival strategy than an than some sort of imperialist plot. Yeah, no, I, because he yeah. didn't really have a leg to he didn't really have a leg to stand on at that point. Yeah, well, I think that's why you can see those sequences when they arrive, and even like you said, the pageantry of the emperor's the scroll, whatever. Nothing really comes across with pomp and circumstance there's a real sense mm. of melancholy and like knowing that this yes. is going to be a disaster I think you'll bang on the mark about that much higher plot got the Beret Jesser or whatever they're called the evil nuns yes. running around basically yeah, planning exactly. things and so on and this came into the Messiah idea again when they got there and you see all the people you know going Messiah 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 and considering the invasions into Iraq and Afghanistan the citizens of these countries civilians holding up their hands and you know oh the liberators the liberators um, but Paul mm. saying they're just doing what they've been told it's a superstition exactly. that's been weaved by probably the Berejessera or whatever um, yeah it was yeah because they literally admitted that themselves they said mm. we've kind of paved the way for you mm. use that as best as you can yeah planting that idea that Paul is this messianic figure I guess was part of the survival strategy mm-hmm. there is this much 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 larger plot mm-hmm why I stood aside from this imperialist idea of the House of um, Atreides was mostly because of what happened after they went on the recon mission when Jason Momoa's character actually went and stayed with them for a while. Mm. And so he just came back and reported back that actually these people are a very well-developed civilization. They are well-suited for living in the deserts. They have catacombs that go far beneath the surface. They understand how to deal with the sandworms. Mm. So already the house of Atreides kind of saw as, okay, this is our ticket to survive this thing mm. because we have to go here regardless. And if you notice, if they were really there to mine the spice, there wouldn't have been that whole thing of let's just save our men. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, which is where you're meant so it was to almost see. like Yeah, the big difference. It was almost like mm. this mining of the spice is just a quota that we have to keep up mm. for the empire. And then he was even talking about how they had been royally fucked because the um, equipment that they were supposed to use to do it was run down. Yeah. Really been forced into a bind. I saw them as a, in a very unfortunate position because they're trying to play ball with someone who wants you dead. Like, how do you do that? Yeah. You know, you're not here to do anything. This is your tomb. That's exactly. That's why you've got that austere architecture. They're already dead. Yeah. They just don't realise it yet. That was where I really, really empathised with them, which is weird to say because <laughs> they were supposed to be in the... No, it's true. Because yeah, they were supposed yeah. to be in the position of the oppressors, technically. Yes. But these people aren't really in the position of oppressors. They're just they're just mice in a, a slowly collapsing trap. I saw them very similar to that gerbil in yes. the middle of yeah, the, in desert. the desert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is a real parallel between mm. who you are and that gerbil right now. You are just this lone mouse mm. in the middle of a much wider desert trying to conserve your moisture and survive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Without the tents that you were staying in and all that, like, what would they have done? Honor, they're screwed. They're absolutely screwed. I think, again, the thing that stood out to me about the book was the hostility of the planet. The fact that people can't yeah. go out really during the day. I know you see, like, Paul wandering around in his suit, yeah. suit you know, his full on suit at one point. Somehow. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> Which was just, I, was I, like... I kind of undercut a little bit. But the point is that, yeah, they're at completely mercy of the planet. 
Yeah, which is what probably makes the Fremen impressive. But I liked the yeah. abrasiveness that they came across with as well. And it wasn't just this an easy alliance is going to be formed here. And that's for good reason. They are not going to have an alliance with another set of outworlders when the last set were a bunch of genocidal maniacs. Murderous. Yeah. Exactly. Like literal genocidal maniacs. So they had reasons for their suspicions looking at everything in the much wider context because that to me was how I really tried to appreciate this film mm-hmm. I kept trying to think okay I can try to like cross-examine each and every character mm-hmm. everything from Jessica the Bene Gesserit the Harkonnen and, and their quest to just mine a resource and get very wealthy the much larger empire plot mm-hmm. you know there was so much happening and I think what I found impressive about the film was they tried to give you that much in very little time mm-hmm. in a way that cut to the chase but helped you make sense of what was going on. Mm-hmm. Because every time I was given another scene of like a different planet and a different setting, what happened in my mind was, okay, there is so much more going on there, mm. but they're just giving us this snippet because it's relevant to the plot. Yes, yeah, yeah, but yeah. But obviously yeah. there's going to be so much more happening. Like whatever the hell the Bene Gesserit are, they scared me the most because I'm like, what are these people? They are frightening. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The, the whole thing with the voice and the fact that they have some sort of premonitions, etc. I'm just thinking about how all these things factor into being in such powerful playing positions in the universe, which explains why they ended up being advisors to the throne. They're doing all this while also having their own subplot as well. The whole thing about trying to make whatever Paul was meant to be. Yeah, um, yeah, 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 yeah. Which, which again, could so, be something they explore in future to yeah. be discussed with The Matrix. The idea of just establishing a messianic figure, but for the purposes of a, an agenda. If the idea of the Messiah is about some kind of higher enlightenment or freedom mm. all this is is actually yeah. just the complete opposite which is putting people under a different exactly. system of control um the one final thing i wanted to discuss was just the cinematics mm-hmm. absolutely stunning mm-hmm. every scene was done so beautifully well especially when you have those panning shots those sweeping shots of like the large scale of the planets mm. you just get the sense of oh like look how tiny these people are yes yeah, compared to yeah. everything yeah that i think probably just the vastness of this plot comes in it's really mirrored in the cinematic everything is always like this massive zoomed out approach to things but then at the same time you also get these very up close shots as well mm. so there's mm. this sort of like zoom in zoom out that happens and it that's why I said overall, the film just ended up being very intense Mm. because you have everything from the intensity of vastness to the intensity of the minutiae. And every now and again, you might get a sense of, okay, they're just shooting something at a human scale. But most of the time, it's either far away or very up close. Like, there is no in-between. Mm-hmm. It's extremes. <laughs> it's extremes. Yeah. It's like su- such extremes in the in cinematography. Mm-hmm. But also things like the lighting, the shadow, the saturated, like the colors were. And you could always tell when he was having a vision just because of how it looked compared to the rest. Mm-hmm. They did a lot of communication just with the cinematics of it. That's what I really loved about the cinematography of this film. It was, to me, was absolutely stunning. That's why I said this was the blockbuster of the year, yeah. really. I think, I guess maybe I might have to bite my words when we get to Matrix <laughs> Resurrection. Possibly, because yeah. Because there is that as well coming. And we all know that the uh, Wachowskis do not play games. So. Mm. I think Villeneuve is very good at trying to communicate ideas or tones and senses through design through like say the way the camera moves and it like you say these people are dwarfed by events that are much greater than they are yeah. 
that's exactly what the cinematography is conveying. But it's also subtle things like the fact the emperor is conducting things silently. And so you, his guard yeah, descend yeah. in silence. And again, the one other thing I remember from the novel so vividly is the first time the, a worm appears. Paul and Gurney, Josh Brolin's character, standing above as this harvester is consumed by the worm. Yeah. And I thought visually yeah. in this, I just it was just incredible. I did feel some chills. Okay. This needs to be seen in the cinema, I would say, just to get yeah. the scale of it. Very evocative of cinematography but very exciting as well one of the things I was thrown off by was the pacing of the film Mm -hmm. right because at the beginning it seems kind of slow but you don't realise how much information you're being given during the slow moment there is so much information you get at the beginning that you're not even aware that you're getting until you're midway through the film and you realise how much you almost intuitively understand Mm. because you were given this time to acclimatise to the setting but when it gets fast it gets very fast like things happen in fractions of seconds and that's what made it so thrilling I think the first moment I was really thrown away from how things could switch on a dime was the first time the Bene Gesserit showed up and tested Paul that scene happened so fast Mm -hmm. I was like what the hell just happened he walked into the room and she uses the voice on him as like come here and next thing he's right in front of her there's a needle right beside his neck and his hand that was don't move your hand from the box exactly and it was so intense it was so quick that happened so many times in the plot when it it seems slow for all of five minutes Mm. and then you have like 20 seconds of like intense what the hell just happened and then it continues again and it but it ended up being quite a thrilling experience yeah felt that the film was almost tilted i mean almost like you if you were running down a dune of sand but you start very slow and then you really start to go into free fall the only thing i would say from a pacing point of view but i do think it's very deliberate to unbalance the audience is these interjections of the premonitions because you're just really not sure what yeah. you're seeing you're thinking is, is this going to come or why is Zendaya important yeah. Am I seeing what's happening now? Am I seeing what's happening then? I'm being being given information that I don't know whether to trust or rely upon. But that is part of the disorientation of the last part of the film. And the other thing is that you're seeing characters just getting absolutely fucked. Left, right, centre. There is no... It's so brutal at times. You just think you're like, oh, so he's dead. He's dead. She's dead. You know? I mean, where poor old Sharon Duncan, Brewster, got it, you know, uh, Dr. Kinds. I thought that was so epic because anyone who knows June when she steps out and she gets the two uh, I don't know what to call them like axes out if you know June you know what that means felt like a slightly triumphant moment and then she just gets it right through the back of the you know, spoilers yeah. gets it right through the back of the of the, her suit the last I think 45 minutes are incredibly disorientating but exactly. we are going into the chaos of the desert and then even going back to what you said about the chaoticness of the visions right mm. I think that my conf- Confusion at those visions, I guess, was an intentionally evoked emotion mm. because I was thinking, this is how Paul must feel. <laughs> because he's the one getting these visions and he doesn't know what to do with them. <laughs> and I just remember that moment when he like lashes out at his mother when they're in yeah, the tent. And yeah, just like he made, he made me this freak. he made me this Bene Gesserit freak. Yeah. Because I'm just getting bombarded with a bunch of visions and dreams and of things that might happen, could happen, are not happening. You know, things that help me navigate sometimes, but sometimes are completely false. And 
you know, it's very disorientating to you as the viewer. Mm. So I was just also trying to imagine how disorientating it would be to Paul as a person experiencing these things. Mm. And so in that sense, I feel like those interjections were almost mirroring the reality that Paul was in. But that's what made this film kind of interesting because it was very centered on Paul. Dune was about Paul, really. So having yeah, some it's sort all of about Paul. parallel to... <laughs> It was really all about Paul, like, completely. And so, final thoughts of this yeah, film. Yeah. I actually really, really enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. Looking forward to the next one. Have no idea what the next one is going to do, whether they might follow the original plotline of the book series, whether they might take it in a different direction, mm-hmm. if they're going to recenter on other characters within the plot that, you know, maybe the novels may not have given that much airtime to, mm-hmm. but who are actually central or cardinal to the plotline. Yeah, but we will see how it all yeah. goes. I mean, it all depends on what they decide to do with the next one. Yeah. Yeah. So my final thoughts are, I think it's definitely worth watching. I think there's enough there for people who have never had anything to do with Dune to enter into this universe and, yeah. and you know, you understand the major players of it and what's going on. I mean, yeah. in a way, that this is almost like an anti-Star Wars because the politics yes. are more messy and so on. The people who have premonition powers are the ones that are running things from behind the scenes. It contrasted the Jedi. And yes, you have a hero in the middle of it who is seemingly very important but you wonder of course like you said I think you've articulated really well about whether it is going to go in that direction and of course what the pressures are upon him and the fact that his own struggle unlike Star Wars which is a stepping into this great royalty of the galaxy he's almost stripping it off him our friend Alan said it, it it's Star Wars for adults I think this has probably been the most normal review we've ever done. It's been too sober. It's been too serious and sober. And I don't know whether it's just fatigue. We went to June and we were so fatigued. (laughs) There wasn't enough punning, I don't think. Uh, No, we 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 did not pun whatsoever. On the film itself centers on a hot mess, but the film is not a hot mess. No. Yeah, exactly. Um, Yes, yes, yes. That will be the one pun that we managed to well, slip I, into. Well, I, I did manage to see. I did manage to get in the uh, the June sort of metaphor. Yeah, yeah. But I course. was trying to be. Ser- I was actually trying to be serious for once. Yes, Josh. Uh, yes, well. Josh. I was trying to be serious. <laughs> but yeah. Anyway, mm. um, that was it from us on Dune. Uh, it's a great film. Definitely recommend you go see mm-hmm. it if you haven't already. If you have send us a comment or a note or something on our Facebook on our the uh, Twitter page about what you think of it mm. and next week's podcast we are going to continue on our Sam theme and we're going to review the Mummy series we're going back into the into the nostalgia yeah. we might have a guest or two on that one that's yet to be decided mm-hmm. you will see when we get there uh, but yeah join us next week when we keep on talking about people going into sandy places and um, causing trouble wrecked. <laughs> Ha 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 